Hi, this is Michelle Astley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. Today's guest is a flash from the past. In part, thanks to our social media world, I am proud to have Jeffrey Haler on. Jeff and I went to high school together, and because of the wonders of social media, we have been able to connect, or reconnect rather, and I've been on awe of some of the things that you've been doing over the last few years, so I wanted to dig in and hear more of your story. Thank you, Jeff. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm so happy to have a platform to share some of these some of these things, so I'm glad to have, and it's really nice just to just to hear from you and you know reconnect as well so thank you for your time i appreciate it very much oh you are welcome so what have you been up to <laughs> well goodness um since i've seen you it's probably been 20 years mm-hmm. and in that time i've done anything from work in a tool and die shop to a dog shelter to a gym volunteering my time at pet food pantries getting married and raising a now 16-year-old, um, going back to school, um, becoming a personal trainer, um, and trying to be my be the best person I can be every day to set an example. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been pretty busy with any number of things like that. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So when... when when I remember you from high school, um, you seemed, you know, like a normal teenage guy. And so what mm-hmm. happened after you graduated? Well, when I, when I graduated, I went to college. I went to, I went to Ferris State for one year in the manufacturing tooling, which is the tool and die type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I decided that I'd rather do an apprenticeship. So after one year... Apprenticeship is like a working, you know, a working certificate. So I could actually make some money and try to do some things. So once I got out of, once I got out of uh, one year of Ferris, I decided to find a job. So I found a job at the now defunct Tomco Tool and I, and they put me through an apprenticeship program. Oh, cool. And so I did the apprenticeship program through Tomco Tool and I onto and finished at Precise Engineering and got my certificate in CNC machining. And that's basically been my bread and butter job for the last 21 years, um, working Mm -hmm. in tool and die, running various CNC machines and programming and doing things like that. So that's been like the money aspect of it to support my family. So from, from high school to there is kind of where I went professionally. Personally, I kind of, the, the nature of tool and die is you work a lot, so you don't have a really big social life. So my social life kind of revolved around the nightlife a little bit, which is not very conducive to having a, a good relationship with anybody. So it just kind of never happened. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty much a, you know, a lone wolf for a while, you know, just hanging out with a few friends that shared the same hours and the same interests basically. Right. Right. I find a lot of jobs end up that way in some, yeah. in some fashion. Yeah. They certainly Difference do. in cultures. Yeah. Like, you know, just work cultures versus, um, you, you know, when, how we're grow, growing up when we're in high school and you find your buddies and you hang out with them all the time. Maybe you attend all the same classes and everything and, yeah, and just, exactly just shifts. It. Yeah, yeah. It's, like a little, it's like a little community that you just kind of put yourself into and it just happens. So, Yeah, right. No choice necessarily. So did you always want to do CNC machining for your bread and butter? You know, I never really knew what I wanted to do. 
when I was growing up. I was never that kid that wanted to be like a policeman or a firefighter or an army man or, you know, anything like that. When I was in school, I didn't have like the interests, like I didn't have like a set interest, like some people just really love to do one particular thing. And I never had that. And mm-hmm. I just, I always, and I'm still this way. I'm, I'm always like, I've always got my fingers in many honey pots, you know, to mm-hmm. point a, or to use a term. So it was just, a, it was just the prompting of a friend that was an auto shop because they had auto shop back then there. He said, Hey, why don't you take machine, you know, a machine shop? I was, didn't think anything of it. And I just signed up for it. Turned out I was halfway decent at it. I'm still, I mean, I'm still learning today, but I'm still, I'm pretty good at what I do and it shows and, you know, where I work and what I do. But it was a prompting of that is a friend just basically told me to sign up and I looked into it and said, okay. And that's when I started. I started with an uh, Ed Tischler's machine theory class and spent two years doing that. And then off I went. Those were classes I did not take in high school. I stuck with French and art. <laughs> well, funny, funny you say that because my daughter is like all about French and art and not about shop. Funny you say that. So she's, <laughs> she's a, my daughter's French, I gosh, French four or French. She's going to be AP French next year. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and she can play musical instruments and I, and I'm all thumbs when it comes to that. So, right, right. So, I mean, there's, there's a little bit to be said there about the way I was brought up compared to my daughter. So it's, it's, it's all, it's all there. So we have a little bit of everything in our house from that. So. I love that. So at the time of this recording, I've had the chance to interview my son's Aikido instructor, uh, a friend who helps women or, or primarily women business owners get in touch with their messaging, marketing assistants, tarot readers, and an empath and a couple others. Uh, so it's kind of a range of different things, but I've never interviewed a CNC machinist. So for the uninitiated, what, what is that? Why is that important? Well, uh, CNC stands for computer numerical control and machining. And what I do and what a lot of machinists do is they'll use a computer, you know, your, your standard desktop computer, and they'll use what's called a CAM software. CAM stands for Computer Aided Machining. And what, they'll, and what we'll do is we'll use a computer to make um, a pattern, basically, of what we want to, like the types of tools we want to use. You know, for a layman, it would be like a bit, you know, using a bit to make, to remove metal, to remove wood, to remove anything to make a shape basically to mm-hmm. put a hole in to do these things in a, in a, a quick uh, efficient manner for the next person to use. And it's important. You know, I make these things that would go on to like a, a stamping die, for instance, and a stamping die would make like the fender of your car. Mm-hmm. So I make the parts that make the parts basically. So you see all of your auto parts, you know, in some way, shape or form, I've had my finger on in some way, shape or form, you know, whether it be like I make a piece that cuts out the opening for where your wheel goes on your car, or I make the piece that stamps, that stamps out the form of your hood on your vehicle, just any, any number of things right down to the tiny little bracket. So that's amazing. 
So the importance of manufacturing, if there wasn't a guy like me making these parts, you wouldn't have your luxuries as easily or as cheaply. I mean, I say that cheaply as you do right now for having like your vehicle or whatever it is that you use to get around and even your bicycles, whatever it takes. Right. Right. We had a number of um, tool and die shops growing up in the area. We grew up in a small town in West Michigan in the, in the Bible belt in Michigan. And uh, I remember seeing them, you know, but I just never really knew what, what they did. My husband is actually uh, a diesel mechanic and he trains, uh, mechanics to be diesel mechanics at the local transit authority here. And for those in Portland, that's of course, TriMet. And so I'm, <laughs> and so he does most of our car repairs and things. And, uh, we had to actually replace the fender on my car because there was a season a couple years ago where just all the fender benders happen and we had to replace it. And so like one of the things that we had to, um, put in was, it was called a, a Christmas tree. Yeah. You're probably familiar with those, yeah. right? And so I would imagine somewhere in there, your hand was on some piece to create that opening to get that Christmas tree in the fender it's, or something. It's, a, it's plausible that you have seen some of my work at some point in your life. Right, right. Well, I drive a 2004 Grand Am, so mm -hmm. there's that too. Yep. Uh, so for those who don't know, a Christmas tree is like, uh, you know, when you hang pictures and, you, and you're not sure where the stud is. And so you use that plastic thing to sort of make sure your, your picture hangs. Well, it's kind of that shape, but it actually looks like a Christmas tree. And it's a pin that you use to secure the pieces of a fender to the rest of the car. And they're really amazing a not very expensive thing. And it actually holds the entire fender on with a series of like maybe a dozen of them. Okay. So is your passion... <laughs> Oh, thank you. It's <laughs> like flashing back to, it's like some of these jobs Peter and I will actually do together and he's really patient, uh, which anyway, well, we'll talk about learning in that on another bit. What I'm really interested though, is your passions. Like, I feel like maybe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm not reading this right, but I feel like you can, you really, really value the work that you've been doing for the last 20 years and, and the importance, but it maybe isn't what pulls at your heartstrings. You're absolutely right. Um, and Tool and I is, as fed and raised, helped, well, not fed and raised like directly, but mm -hmm. as support, having the work there for me to do to support my family um, is very important, but you're, and that's what it's given me. But you're absolutely right in the, in the regard of, the passion of me is not, is not, I mean, I, I like my job and I like what I do, but it's not like what gets me out of bed every day. Like not what I think about when I get up. It's, you know, it's not what I, what I live and breathe and cry tears and expound my joys for. It's, it's the, it's all the other things that I get to do. <laughs> And so before we get into that, I was just curious, like you, cause you said you didn't really know what to, and then, and the reason I want to talk about this, cause I think this happens to a lot of people there, not everybody, like you said, right. Doesn't wake up one day. Like there was one girl in high school that knew when she was five years old that she wanted to be a doctor. Yep. 
And beyond that, like, I think a couple of people knew what they wanted to study when they were in school, or there was maybe familial pressures to go in one direction or the other, but actually knowing what you wanted to do. And I mean, that's just this thing called life, right? Like, uh, uh, one of the lovely women that I had a chance to chat with, uh, she and I talked about how, you know, we still have things to learn, right? If we're still here, we're, if we're not dead yet, there's still things to learn. And there's I think like passions, yeah, kind of go in line with that. And so, you know, we don't, we don't always know at 18 when we graduate exactly what we want to do. And, but then, you know, we have to start earning in some way. Maybe our parents are gracious enough to let us live with them rent-free, maybe not, but you, there's a shift, you know, just that's our culture, right? And so- yes while you were able to like establish this really great career, you were still learning and figuring out what some of your passions were. Is that. And yeah. And, and you're exactly right. And really it hasn't come out until actually we, we moved into our house and adopted our first dog and then more or less our second two dogs. And now our fourth dog, which is now only one dog, if that makes any sense. Oh my gosh. But, but, <laughs> but, um, it's, well, it's because the other ones have passed away. So I just you know, sure. they didn't, they didn't go to a different home or anything. But to, right. I, I wanted to back up a second because you mentioned something about knowing what you want to do, you know, when you grow up. And my daughter is going through that same exact thing right now where she's really struggling trying to figure that out. And, and school in itself is putting a lot of pressure on our kids to know what you have to do, you know, when you're done. And I, and, and, it's almost like they feel like that once that they, once they say that, yes, I'm going to go be a dentist or yes, I'm going to go, you know, drive a bulldozer. That's all that they have to do with the rest of their life. And I'm here to tell you that that's not it, you know, try it. And if you can change whatever you don't like, and I'm trying mm-hmm. to really relay that message to my daughter. And I just, I just wish that more children were told that because it's a lot of, pre- it's a huge pressure. And if they knew, and if they didn't think that they were going to be, you know, if this was it for the rest of their lives and they're going to make the wrong decision that they're not ever going to be able to change it. I'm here to tell you that you can. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes you have to. Yeah. For, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry to get you off topic, but I wanted to. No, that's not off topic. It. Cause this is like all things that I really want to share with our world. And there's uh if, what, so one of the things that I started here in Portland was a food buying club. And when we first got together, uh, this lovely gentleman who lives in Vancouver facilitated our meetings. And so what I mean by got together, there was a lot of food clubs that started in Portland at that time. This was 10 years ago. And we were all doing things differently and as different as, you know, our thumbprints, as, as our fingerprints, as different as a snowflake. <laughs> and um, uh, So <laughs> what he say kept saying is like let like we've all made these individual problems starting our food buying club let's stop making the same mistakes and make new and interesting and different mistakes right to learn from and this idea that we are we're pressuring kids to choose when some are ready and if they're ready great gung-ho but if you're not ready maybe there's a different way that we could co-create a space where people can still fumble safely and figure out what they want without that added on that. I mean, there's a certain amount of pressure helps us grow, right? But there's there's a point where we stress ourselves and it becomes unhealthy. You're exactly right. I'm all about having a plan, 
but I'm also all about changing a plan. You know, if it doesn't, if it's not working and you can foresee it not working, then there's, you, you're not stuck. So right. yeah, I'm, I'm all for, I'm all for that, but I'm also all for that, you know, like you said, fumble around and try to try to find where you fit because you're not going to, you're, you're not going to fit, you know, right away when you're, when you're bouncing around and trying to find that right, that right hole to drop into, you know, you're not, yeah. you're not going to hit it on the first try all the time. Right. And again, if you do more power to exactly. you, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you did, you know, the thing you, you got some education, you got certified in uh, your work and you did your work really well. And somewhere along the way you, uh, you adopted a dog and you realized what? I realized that the dog that I adopted needed, needed to be a dog. And this is all prompting from my wife. My wife is a big, a big reason of why I am the way that I am today. She grew up, we all grew up with dogs. Um, she really wanted the dog when she came here because she had to leave hers behind. And mm. at, at the time, um, we, when I lived in the apartment, we didn't have a dog. Well, soon, literally the day after we moved into this house and when we were finished putting it all together, we went to the Humane Society with a, throbbing headache because I had a hangover from drinking the night before <laughs> celebrating that I was in my own house in this noisy noisy place we brought home Duke and he was our Rottweiler and mm. he was a nervous wreck did not like anything on the outside barked in the car did everything didn't like other dogs and I'm like okay well we got him out of there he's in a nice quiet place but then I got to thinking you know he can be a dog. He can be social. He can have friends. We just got to find the right, the right combination for him. So mm-hmm. my wife, as she does, she's always looking, you know, it has her eyes open and she discovered Mackenzie's animal sanctuary. So we just, we filled out the application and did our due diligence, you know, out there because they're very thorough. They check, you know, they check your vet records. They ask you if you have a fenced in yard you know, they do all the things and we had got lucky enough to have an adoption meeting. I had my eyes on a girl named Maggie, just a black mutt, you know, dog, you know, senior, everybody overlooks the, you know, the old black dog. So that's the first one I went for. So the adoption coordinator brought in Eagle and I was like, well, this isn't Maggie. So I brought in a Beagle and the instant they brought the Beagle in, so Beagle ran right to my daughter, jumped on her lap. And I'm like, well, I can't really say no to this, can I? And it was like, <laughs> what do I do? And then I said to the adoption coordinator after, I said, if this works with Duke, we're coming back for Maggie. So Tommy says, okay, Tommy's the adoption coordinator. She's still there. So mm-hmm. we brought Duke out a few times to the shelter and he hates car rides. We had to calm him down. And he got to meet Honey the Beagle. And Honey was the type of dog that ignored other dogs. So it was perfect. She she didn't mess with him. He didn't mess with her. It was a match made in heaven because they didn't care about each other. So Honey came home. That was September September 15th of 2014, 2015. Oh, okay. So it was a while. So... 
fast forward to November 15th, I go back for Maggie. Maggie and Duke fell in love. And it was Aww. like, it was so sweet because they were just two, two peas in a pod. Duke loved having her around. Maggie was a goofball. It's everything that I could ever possibly imagine. I was so thankful that he was actually able to dog because he wasn't able to before. And he just had to have the right combination of dogs. So mm-hmm. that, that in itself was such a gift. And I'm so glad that I was able to work with my wife and work with the adoption coordinator there and just get the right, right dogs for him. And it was, that was the whole, the whole driving factor was him to get, to get us out there. And then that was it for a while. I didn't go back for probably about a year. And then, then after uh, Honey and Maggie came home from Mackenzie's, I came, they have like a, a yearly thing where you can bring them back to say hi to the people that work with them everything else. Mm-hmm. So I went back, ran into the volunteer coordinator and her name was Shauna. She's not there anymore. She went on to be a veterinarian. Um, she said, why don't you come out and volunteer? I said, okay. So that's where that's where it all started right there. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I want to dig into that a little bit more, but we uh, should take a break. Okay. Welcome back. We were just talking with Jeff on how he got introduced to Mackenzie Animal Sanctuary. So Mackenzie Animal Sanctuary is in West Michigan, right? It's in, yeah, it's in Lake Odessa. Um, for people that aren't really familiar with West Michigan, it's about as close as you want to, the closest place that you would think it is, is like Ionia. You know, it's about 30, okay. 35 miles from where I live. You know, it's to the east towards Lansing. It's about halfway between Grand Rapids and Lansing. Oh, okay. Awesome. Which, yeah. So it's independently owned. It's its own kind of thing, right? I would imagine. Yeah. It's, it's, it's It was founded in, let's say, two, I, don't, I don't remember exactly the year. I don't know if it's 99 or 2001 stand out to me, but it's found, it was founded by Azar family. And it was, it's on like an old, like milk farms type thing. So there's a few barns out there, but they built many buildings for those dogs. So dogs that are, you know, dogs that are housed out there. So it's been, nice. it's been around for a while. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, now, what is it? What does animal sanctuary mean? What is that? That even it says animal sanctuary, but it's a, it's a home for dogs. Although we've had cats out there in the past, but what that is, is that, and what our mission is, we take dogs in that are overflow from other shelters that are on, you know, like a kill list or a youth list or a medical list where, you know, most shelters don't have the funds to treat, you know, like a heartworm or have an amputation or a break or neurological or anything like that. And where Mackenzie stands out is there no kill for one. So that means that unless, you know, like today we're having we're having a ceremony for Quincy, our resident, because it's time it's time for him to be let go because he is in pain and he is at the end mm. of this tree, his quality of life is not optimal. So for that reason we we do euthanize, but we don't euthanize for behavior, we don't euthanize for age, we don't euthanize for things like that. You know, so they Or like the shelter's overfull. Correct. Exactly. Mm. So 
So that place is a soft landing for a dog that might not necessarily have that. And also for a dog that might need a heartworm treatment or might need an amputation or might need, you know, other surgeries or have like allergies or anything like that. That's where, that's where they stand out. So my husband and I fall in the one third of American families that aren't pet people. And there's, they're not for everybody because they are a very big responsibility. Right. We're waiting until we can have some property so we can get a good sized dog and they can run around that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And for now we very happily identify in the minority of Americans. (laughs) And so I'm curious, how do these animals, um, I have actually have two questions. One, I want to know how your wife found this place. And two, how do the animals get to be at McKenzie? Well, my wife found it just by any normal, she browses the internet or looks for places to adopt dogs, you know, when she got here because she was just dying to have a dog, which is fine. And so that just came up in a regular, regular, regular like web, web browse. So it came up pretty, oh, okay. pretty easily. So it wasn't like a big... It wasn't looking specifically for a sanctuary or something like that, just a way to adopt a dog. Correct. And so it came up with that and like your, your humane societies... The guy that we have here right now, he's from another one called Hearts of Hope. Mm-hmm. And so they do they do rescue as well. Um, but you're, as far as that goes, it's, finding it wasn't really the, the big issue. You know, it's, it's not a hidden gem anywhere or anything like that. There, there are a lot of small people that are small groups that do, you know, they do a house fosters and things like that to where mm-hmm. they don't have a physical kennel. So there's, there's so many. There's so many, but Mackenzie stands out because they're so thorough and they care for their dogs. And they stand out because of how deep they dive into the adoption process. Like, is your home, how, you know, do you have children grown, Uh, you know, grown, you know, what's, how often do you take your dogs to the vet? What's your yard like? What are your... More than just going and paying the fees for the shots and things. Correct. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's where, that's where they stand out. And as far as how dogs land there, it's, it's more or less, there's a group of shelters that works with McKenzie's hand in hand, you know, like my, one of my dogs came from Calhoun County. Some, they do some from like mid Michigan humane, which is where we live in the Stanton area, you know, things like that. And they just, they call and the, they being the other shelters call and say, Hey, we're getting pretty full. Do you have any room? you know, for, you know, this dog or that dog. And, and we have to look and see, okay, we have so many dogs here, you know, how many are looking good for adoption? How many, you know, how much room do we have? What kind of dog will we bring in that are, you know, cause I mean, not to get superficial about it, but there's more dogs that are highly, highly adaptable and some that aren't. So you still have to be careful. You have to be careful of what comes in because if you bring, you know, you bring a big giant German shepherd into a kennel that already has a bunch of German shepherds, you know, he's going to get overlooked and possibly struggle and stay there. So, you know, we want to make sure that we do what's best for the dogs as well. There's a lot of factors to look into. There's a lot, yeah. So you found this place because you wanted a dog. You love the dogs. You love the people. And you started going back and something something clicked where, where you, I love this place and you started to volunteer. Yeah. So why, what about 
dogs being dogs and in that kind of environment where it sounds like the whole vibe allows for that. Like what, what is so great about that? The reason dog dogs are great just because you know where you stand with them right away. They, mm-hmm. You know, you, you give, you give them your body posture. They give, they give you theirs and they will let you know where, where you are with them and you can be in that environment with them. They have, you know, they greet you, they run away from you, they bark at you, they lay down and give you a belly, you know, you know, right away. And then there's the ones that run away. There's the ones that growl. There's Mm -hmm. the ones that, you know, have their tail between their legs. Those are the ones that you want, at least for me, that you want to dive deeper and, you know, say, hey, it's okay. I'm okay. You know, you just got to give me a chance. And you take those baby steps to help them open up to give you a chance. And thus, they'll give more people chances. And that's, awesome. and that's, and that's where I really, I really try to work hard on those, those types of dogs myself, you know, and then you just, you learn about their little personalities and things that they like and things that they don't like. And, you know, there's, there's a lot for them to do out there, you know, but it's important to get, actually get people out there to do it with them. Uh, so they need volunteers. Always volunteers. And plus the staff works. And I know this because I was one for a while. The staff works so hard and they can only do so much. And if volunteers don't go out there, some days dogs don't get seen by a person. And, what, mm. and, and they spend their days in a 12, you know, 12 foot by four foot run on the inside and 12 foot by four foot run on the outside. So they have 24 feet of, of that's all they look at for most of the day. And if they don't get out of that run, I mean, that's not good. That's not a good environment, you know, for that. So that's why mm-hmm. I stress like volunteer, go spend some time with some dogs. It'll be good for them. It'll be good for you. You know, it's everybody thinks that a shelter is a great place and it is, but it's also very stressful because of what has to be done and what, you know, sometimes doesn't happen. They always get fed, they always get their meds, but they don't always get seen. So that's, right. that's where I stress the put your time in there sort of thing. So when you volunteer and you go see a dog, whether it is, sir, the kinesthetic learning. Uh, and so, you know, like you said, this textbook. Yeah. And, and he's learning really great things and yep. it could have been done with challenges to help him grow, but maybe less friction that has served adversely. Correct. If we could honor that. Correct. Yeah, no, I agree. I think learning styles are grossly under mm-hmm. uh, played in this country and probably in the world. I don't know, but I, I, I am a different learner too. I'm also a kinesthetic learner and I also can fake it in, in the other realm. Cause I have a great memory, mm-hmm. but at least as a kid, I did. It's changing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it does present those challenges for, for people who learn differently. Yeah. You know, have you ever heard of a right brained learner? Yeah. I grew up in the eighties. So I had not heard of this in terms of what it meant. So there's, okay. right, there's right and left. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to remember which is which, but the most, most of us 
I think most of us are right brain learners and we learn to read between four and six and left brain learners. And I might have it backwards. They don't learn to read until between seven and 10. So by seven, that second grade, you've already been held back. Right. So the stigma that goes with the natural brain development of, of a certain percentage of the population is really detrimental. And I think people know this, that anyone who's been held back is they carry that stigma their whole lives. Yeah. They have now wrong. They've now taken on that. They're not smart. They're not as good as other people Mm -hmm. and nothing is further than truth. You know, the brain develops differently for each of us. Yeah. We are each different. Right. And I get the challenges that that presents in a in a school setting in a in a mass population learning set, setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there are ways that we could honor that better. Yeah. Mm, okay. I really want to talk to you more about this, but we mm. have completely run out of time. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so. We could we could do another one with whole other topics. That would be oh, fun. Yes. Yes. And. I think that's going to have to be season two to look forward to. Beautiful. Uh, which is super exciting. So you do a lot of work locally. And if yes. people want to just get a taste of your your magic, mm-hmm. where can they find you? You can find me online uh, at thevitalspirit.net. I am on Facebook, also at The Vital Spirit, Instagram, The Thriving Empath. And I do regular talks in the Portland community at New Renaissance Bookstore perfect about once a month awesome and yeah. the new renaissance bookstore uh keeps their costs between like 10 and 20 or 30 dollars so they're pretty yep. accessible definitely yeah awesome laura thank you so much for chatting with me today thank you and i cannot wait for season two beautiful have a wonderful day you too thank you so much for listening to our podcast today this is michelle Astley with balance shared a space where I truly believe we are better together.